Turn with me now to Genesis chapter 37, where I will reread the verses that we read last week, looking at it from a slightly different perspective and ask different questions of it. Uh, Genesis 37, 1 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colors. But when the brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There were binding sheaves in the field. Then, behold, my sheaf arose, and all stood up right, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. But their father kept the matter in mind. I didn't really focus on the idea of dreams last week, but this is a wonderful picture of the Lord using dreams in the mind and in the life of Jake or Joseph and how he used them with great benefit. And so I think it would behoove us to study the idea of dreams see what they teach us about the Lord and about who we are and about how we ought to treat one another. So we begin with today's view of dreams. Today's view of dreams. Our, our dreams, in a sense, reflect our philosophy of life, our expectations and these kinds of things. That in today's world, I think we have basically two reactions to, to dreams. Either we um, absolutize them and glorify them and we, since we deify them as as something that is they, where they are virtually gods in themselves that's the sort of the spiritualistic uh, way of doing it or the uh, superstitious way of doing it there's a great deal of superstition in our world today despite the the great emphasis on science that we make and on uh, government statism and these kinds of things, which are the dominant themes of our day. Despite that, there are many people that are searching for more, and they, they, they're reflective somewhat of the, um, the truths that they feel within themselves. They, they, they have some sense of deity in themselves, and so they go on over, uh, over to the superstitious side of things. 
Um, so that's one side of modern life. The other side is the sort of super scientific uh, realm or group um, who discounts anything that cannot be measured in the laboratory. Um, today, people, all, uh, many of the leaders, they like to glorify themselves in the, these things. But as we've just seen with this epidemic, uh, very often uh, statists or people that are obsessed with political power, they will sometimes go directly in the face of science if it feeds their egos or if it feeds their political program. So even as people say that they are totally committed to science, they are hypocrites in that and they, they uh, hypocritically deny on one hand what they want to hold up with the other. But these folks, when they look at dreams, um, they just they see them in a very humanistic way. They might, they might think that they're really nothing, or they might look at them um, chemically. Uh, what, what's, what's going on with your body chemistry that you've, you've had these dreams? And they, they see them as nothing more than that. But the biggest thing is that they, whereas the other side sees God in everything or is open to seeing God in everything, some kind of God, some sort of nebulous spirit in everything, these people see it in nothing. And so there is this contradictory view of dreams that somewhat reflects the contradictions that people see in the rest of reality. They just carry that on over to the, to the idea of, of, uh, of dreams. And then there's, there's a kind of a popular way that people look at dreams today that it's dreams of the small d. And these folks think, they, they think that it's a very humanistic way of looking at things, but they say to themselves, well, if you, our dreams are the most powerful things that we have. And so if you don't dream things, if you don't dream big dreams, then you'll never amount to anything. And so their gospel, in a sense, is to dream about the greatness of yourself, the greatness that you could become, the greatness of your life. Uh, this is a, these are dreams, again, with a small d, because they really are not dreams at all. It's just sort of the, it's a, uh, a euphemism for aspiration. And they're trying to rev themselves up uh, with aspirations so that they have some reason to live, so that they might possibly accomplish something in their lives because they have these aspirations. And you've heard the positive thinkers say, if you don't dream it, if you don't claim it in, in your, uh, your, your own mind, then you'll never achieve it. Well, what about, how, how does this dovetail or how does this contrast with what the Lord has set out for us? the dimensions of reality that the Lord has proclaimed and the challenges that the Lord has. The Lord says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and uh, everything will be added unto you. But that's not the focus of these other, of these kind of humanistic uh, dreams. So we have, uh, we have, we see right away that, that the, the thinking about dreams is fairly active and, and um, um, fairly dynamic despite the fact that the dreams themselves may be very uh, common and uh, insignificant. <clears throat> now, if we look at Joseph's dreams here, which is the focus of the text, we see that um, his family took a very condescending view of him. As you look at this psychologically, you, you have to think that Joseph, in some sense, some sense is a little bit naive. Uh, most of us would, if, most of us, if we had this kind of a dream, and, and if we thought anything about the fact that this related to 
other people bowing down before us, we'd be fairly sensitive about talking about that sort of thing. We'd say, well, yeah, I've, I've dreamed it, but I don't think it's a good idea to talk about it in public. But the Lord moved Joseph to not only dream the dreams, but to talk about it and to be somewhat verbal about it. And uh, in his naivete, I, I see the Lord working because these, these were dreams that the Lord wanted his brothers and his father to hear. And they disparaged these dreams all over the place. They were they were they held them in contempt. Now we know that this was motivated by other movements of heart in their lives. They didn't like the fact that their father had an endearing love for this young boy, being the youngest in the family at that time. And so they didn't like that, and, and their their envy and their covetousness moved them to hardly speak to, the, to him, the Bible says. They could, they could hardly speak a civil word to him. And so when he spoke to them in these colorful ways, it made them even angrier. Uh, the Lord used the naivete and the positiveness and the hopefulness and the happiness of Joseph to antagonize his brothers. Now when you think some years later of the famine that came down upon them, when you think of them coming before uh, the court of Pharaoh and having their brother there before him, they did not recognize him at that time, but he recognized them. And we see them coming before him and we see them groveling, groveling before their brother for food. We heard a story about that this morning uh, from Central Asia, the children that will grovel and almost create little mini riots about free food that's being handed out by the Christians there. And this was the scene before their brother. Oh, yeah. They, they, and then when he, had, when he revealed who he was to them, the Bible says how, uh, how humble they were. And there were probably not, there was probably not one of them that did not think of this incident of the dreams earlier in their life. And here they were, they scoffed at him then. Now they were here groveling before him. Now, Joseph's dreams were very, very significant and very, uh, very true. The Bible tells us that they were very important and that God used them in a wonderful way. He used them to prove his own existence. He used them to challenge the proudness and the hot horror of the hearts of the 12 sons or the 11 sons of Jacob. He used them as a witness to Egypt even because the Egyptians had to see this going on. And the, the ones that were more prescient and wise must have asked us for some explanation uh, which they were given uh, an answer. And they must have marveled at the way God worked with this strange people, this insignificant people uh, who came now before him. So we, we see, uh, first of all, the way the world looks at these things. We see then the way Joseph and his family looked at these things. And they're really the only one in, their, in the midst who, tr who correctly understood and interpreted the ministrations of the Lord was this young boy, uh, Joseph, the only one. How, well, how should we understand uh, dreams today? And I've heard this um, uh, Various times, where when it's usually been with youth groups, where young people will ask, uh, "I dreamed a dream. What should I make of that? What? How should I think of dreams?" 
that, that, uh, uh, that come to me. And so the best way is to look to the, the dreams of the Bible. And what we learn is that, first of all, there are um, inspired dreams that the Lord gives people. I'll mention a few of those in a moment. But inspired dreams, then there are the kind of common dreams that many of us have. And we go through certain periods of our life where we are prone to dream more or dream less pers- to different personalities. Some dream more. Some, some dream in technicolor, some, some dream in black and white. And, uh, you know, there's, no, there's really no um, uh, uh, firm, firm grasp of how, how we interpret these things or what they mean to us, but they, they, they usually puzzle us, and we want, we want to know what, what they mean. Uh, so the most important things to realize about dreams is that um, unless, unless the, we unless we find them uh, uh, something like the Bible, where God says, I gave someone a dream and I wanted them to dream this, like with Joseph here, our dreams are, are we should not put a, a whole lot of trust in our dreams for huge decisions because they're very ambiguous. They're very hard to understand. And, um, and um, uh, as we see here, some, some that God gave people in the past were very, very significant. But, it's very dangerous to base your life on something that is more obscure and unclear. Whereas we have before us the Bible, which is very clear. It's down in black and white is a metaphor we use to speak about these things. It's written. It's not just something that's in our mind. And so we need to distinguish right away between the things that we might dream versus the things that God tells us in the Bible. It's a huge difference between those two things. We should never elevate the one uh, to the other. One of the big distinguishing marks is that when God puts something in the Bible, he puts it in there for everybody. It's an edification. It's an inspiration meant to instruct everybody, everybody in the world, much less everybody in the church of Christ. Uh, But on the other hand, when God gives us dreams, we realize the other side of this issue, and that is that God is sovereign over everything. If God is sovereign over every leaf that falls or every hair that falls from our head, is God then not sovereign in some way about the dreams that we have in our minds? So so while dreams may not be the inspired ideas of a prophet, they're not nothing. And uh, many people have, have seen and recognized that God has given dreams to people, um, and uh, he always has purposes in them, even if we don't understand them. And so one of the best ways to approach these things is to take Jacob's um, view that we see in verse 11, because even though everybody doubted this incident at the time, it says uh, his father kept these matters in mind. Uh, that's that's really instructive in terms of dreams. If we don't, his father didn't really know for sure, you see, what was going on. He, he But he was open to seeing the significance of these things as he thought about it over time. Do you have dreams uh, every every day or every night that um, you know, something's going to happen to you or that there, there's a threat there in your life? Well, there may be... You, you, it behooves you to think about that. Why would you or my, why might we be dreaming dreams like that? I remember in my, my, my life that 
I had a recurring dream. I've shared this before with with you. I don't know if you remember earlier occasions of it, but I used to have this recurring dream, and it was really a terrifying dream. They said this recurring dream. It started when I was five, six years old, and it was a dream of this gigantic boulder that was that was moving toward, coming toward me with some speed. And, and before I would ever see it, I would hear it and feel the ground tremble beneath. And uh, it was coming for me. And then right before it would crush me, I was running, trying to avoid it. Right before it crushed me, uh, then I would either wake up or uh, I would come to my senses and I'd say, well, there's, you know, there's really nothing. The, the earth is not shaking beneath me. I don't, there's no earthquake. I don't, I don't hear any real, tr- in reality, there's no trembling. So I would go to bed and I would wonder, why did I dream that dream? Strangely enough, when I became a Christian at uh, uh, 18 and a half, almost 19, when I became a Christian, I never had that dream again. And so, I, I, I in, in retrospect, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, uh, God must have been giving me some sense of the threat that I was under outside of Christ. And then once I had Christ, once I obtained the, the peace of Christ, the protection of Christ, he, he took that away from me. And uh, I remember I used to pray about it even in my naivete before I was a Christian and I would pray something. I, that, that dream really bothered me. So I would pray about it. But uh, in a sense, I did what uh, Jacob did. I, I kept the matter in mind. And then um, afterward, I felt like, you know, God really was using that uh, in my life to, to give me a kind of understanding of where I was. And... Uh, what I needed, and God was trying to break my heart and my soul to realize that I needed uh, a protection because there was a threat out there. There was an imminent threat against me. What was it? It was the wrath of God. <laughs> the wrath of God is far more threatening than any big boulder that would crush you. If you're crushed, you're simply dead and gone. But with the wrath of God, the wrath of God can abide on you forever. And it's a far more strenuous judgment than simply dying, although simply dying is something that we would more normally be terrified of. But there are there are greater things. The Lord tells us to, to fear falling into the hands of the living God, meaning the, 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 the wrathful, vengeful hands of the living God, where God is bent with anger against us. But there's no reason for us to be in that place. For he has sent a lamb, to die for us, a righteous lamb, a lamb without spot or blemish. He sent a lamb to make peace between himself and us. And so if you have any kind of fears like that, reach out for the lamb. Take that lamb. We like to cuddle warm, fuzzy things in our arms. Think of the lamb that way. And, uh, and reach out and take the lamb into your arms. For that lamb will give you peace and peace forever. <clears throat> so... Um, um, while our dreams are not inspired or, or certain, we, we see that they do exist under the sovereignty of God, and we know that all things exist in and of under the sovereignty of God. We know that God uses all of his ph- phenomena, all of the things of this world, whether it's a falling leaf or hair off the head or a dream, God uses all of these things for his own purposes, and he wants them to confirm what is written, as the Bible says. He wants them to confirm the things that he has made clear uh, to us in our own lives. 
How should we then treat our uh, family's dreams? Well, we see in this account that with a typical family, there's all kinds of thoughts and emotions that are coursing about. God created us to be thinking creatures, and we, we do think continually. We don't even have to be servants of him to do this, because this is the way he made us. And uh, as we think, we can either think righteously or unrighteously. We can even think, we can either think positively that is under his dominion, or uh, radically outside of his dominion. We see here that the brothers, uh, their, their whole behavior uh, in front of or regarding Joseph was ungodly. It, 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 it reflected no knowledge of God. It reflected no love. The least that they should have thought was that the Lord put us together as a family and we, we ought to love each other. We ought, to, we ought to get what good we can out of each other. And so even in places where there's envy or uh, a slight covetousness, we ought to ask ourselves, why is that? What, what, what has God done here in this case? And as, as I said last week, the brothers should have considered why God gave Joseph to them and why he had these unbelievably um, graphic and uh, portentous dreams but they didn't they just reacted out of the superficiality of his of their flesh and they reacted against him and they ended up selling their brother you think of how yeah, even Reuben the oldest brother the oldest son he realized how awful this was and so he put us he stood before it when he was there in their midst but then one day when he was gone and these this caravan of um, pagans came by uh, they, they, God gave them over to their dementia, as it were, their confusion. And they sold their brother to these traders who then took him to Egypt, sold him to Potiphar, uh, who was like the <clears throat> like a, a, a high magistrate of the, of the kingdom of, e of Egypt. And in that position, then God used his providences to raise up Joseph himself until Joseph stood as the kind of attorney general under Pharaoh the king of, of that uh, great land. And so uh, this story encourages us to treat each other in a more Christian way, to, tr to treat each other uh, in, with, uh, with more enlightenment than we, than we see uh, was exhibited here. And it calls us to, to not be like the brothers, um, to be more humble, even the father who had the highest position in this society at that time, the father is the one who is the most humble, who rebukes his son momentarily, but then keeps the matter in mind. Even as he, even as he thinks he has the clarity of mind to, to rebuke Joseph, it, it bothers him. It nags at his heart and his mind. And so he, he thinks about these things. And so uh, as brothers and sisters... In the family of God, in, the, in our family, in the family of God, we, we ought to really think how much we should cherish our brothers and sisters. We, we ought to be thinking, what gifts do they have? What, what gifts do they have? How, how well are they imply, uh, using those gifts and uh, bringing them to bear upon their life and our society around us today? And uh, in, uh, in almost every case of someone who rises to some great level of power, 
as they look back, they're able to see how God had his hand on them earlier on or how some a gift that they had or some training or some uh, ability that they had, some instinct that they had, was able to be used in a great way. And, and then finally it is manifest to them later on. They get elected or they get a degree. Some uh, I hear children, some of children talking about being doctors. And then one day you see them get their diplomas or their, their decrees, degrees from a medical school. And you wonder, where did this happen? Well, it happened when they were younger and when they were kind of silly and when they would say this or that. But it's, it's a wrong thing for us to just dismiss each other who are creations of God. And uh, I've, I've uh, talked before about how the, the, the splendorous, wonderful place that we find ourselves in when we when we do believe in Jesus Christ and how God calls us all saints, which is a, a, a word that means sanctified, a really fully sanctified saints. And God calls us saints in the church of Christ in Corinthians. He calls us saints before we, before we die, while we're still sinners in this world. And why does he call us that? Because that's the way he sees us in Christ. If we are in Christ, all things have become new. The old has passed away. But how few do we, even in the Christian church, how infrequently do we really treat each other like this? Do we look at each other and we see the best? We see potentiality there. No, most of the time people look at each other and they, they feel bad about themselves. And so they're trying to build themselves up. And so they think critically of other people. That kind of thinking gets you nowhere. The Lord calls us to love each other. And as we love other people, as we love each other, we become more built up ourselves by the Spirit of God. Uh, they could not, the brothers could not quench the dream in, in Joseph's life because the dream came uh, from God. And so, <clears throat> um, literally, we should, we should treat each other's uh, dreams with some indulgence and um, and we should treat each other's lives with some indulgence and look for uh, real possibilities in them uh, because God can use them as he would. We, we know that God has given dreams to all kinds of people. Uh, Gideon was called to go and, and sneak up and spy on the Midianites. And when he drew close... He, he heard the Midianites talking together. And they were talking uh, about a barley, a, a basket of barley coming down the hill and, uh, and rolling over them. And uh, 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 Gideon took that, he listened to the, these pagans' dreams, and he said, Aha, God has given them this dream, and as I hear it, God is prophesying unto me that tomorrow the battle will be ours. It's just a dream of a pagan. Why does God do this? You see, oh, God uses these dreams here and there, willy-nilly, uh, as, he, as he would. Um, uh, I think of uh, <clears throat> the dream of Pontius Pilate's wife as Jesus Christ stood before him in the dock being judged. And while Pilate is trying to have court, the, his wife sends a message to him. 
she said, you know, my husband, I have been deeply troubled all night long by a dream. Do not, do not judge this righteous man. So here's a woman, a nobody, out of the darkness of the night, who comes and testifies to her husband that the man that they have before him, uh, Jesus Christ, whom some are saying is a veritable devil, she's saying, I've had this dream that's terrifying me that you're going to make a huge mistake and condemn this man who is a righteous man. Think about that. It's just amazing. Amazing. Because... God is sovereign over dreams, and uh, he does what he does. I think in some ways with this, that, that dreams are meant to teach us something of God's ubiquity. You know, when we talk about the ubiquity of God, we're talking about how he's not limited to any one place at any one time, or even a thousand places at a time, because God is a spirit, and a spirit is not limited to one place or one time. A spirit transcends space and time. And that's the way the Lord is. The Lord is uh, with us. He's everywhere. And uh, he, uh, he has his powerful existence everywhere. And uh, dreams help us in a small, just a small way to kind of realize how much we don't know. And yet it, it gives us some awareness to the world of the transcendent, to the world of the living God. And so it's a very simple way. It's like a one, once a one a day vitamin or something like that, where God gives us some intimation, some appreciation for the fact that he is with us and around us all the time. And there's nowhere that we can go where we, do, where we could escape from him and not see him most influential over our lives. We see this the most then in our Lord Jesus Christ because... <clears throat> He has all things, all kinds of things going on in his mind. And uh, he has, uh, it's hard to distinguish sometimes as, as, the, as Jesus talks about uh, his life and the thoughts of his death and these kinds of things. What was, what was a dream and what was the revelation of the Father to him uh, in his position as a son of man or what he, what he knew by nature as the son of God. It's hard to know. But we know that that uh, uh, zeal, the Bible says, zeal for God's house uh, consumed the son. He was all consumed by the fact that his father, his heavenly father, uh, the, the head of the Godhead, that his heavenly father was there, that he had, he had uh, goals for the earth. He had created the earth. He had goals for the earth. And ultimately, he was going to lift up a kingdom. Uh, it wasn't going to be some kind of spiritual capsule within the earth, but it was going to be the whole earth. That the whole earth, the Psalms sing of this, the whole earth would give glory to God. And our Lord Jesus Christ is the, uh, the, uh, the secret agent who came to work that out in his own flesh. He wasn't recognized that way then, but he will be in the future. And even now, he sits upon the throne. And Revelation teaches us that some of the greatest visions of Revelation have to do with the Lamb sitting upon his throne and the, the four and twenty elders and the angels all glorifying Jesus Christ as the, as the Lord and Son, the Son and the Lord of this earth. He is God's 
viceroy, everything that the Roman Catholic Church would speak, would, would um, assign to the Pope is in reality assigned to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the great intermediary between the heavens and the earth. He is the one through whom the earth was created. He is the one to whom through all the human glory that we create upon the earth, we, it is to be given through Jesus to the Father. And that is a powerful, powerful dream. Let us dream it and let us enjoy it in him. Our Father and our God, we pray that thou wouldst arrest our lives with uh, this great dream of the kingdom, much like you did through Joseph in this dream about the sheaves and about the sun and the moon and the 11 stars. O oh Lord God, we thank thee that thou art who thou art. We thank thee for thine, thine omnipotence and thy omnipresence, thy ubiquity. We thank thee, O oh Lord, that thou dost use everything in this earth, whether it's a falling leaf or a falling hair or a dream. Thou dost use all of these things. Thou dost use brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and animals, and affections that we have in our hearts. Thou choose all of these things to bring about thy peace and thy glory, thy kingdom. Bless us, we pray, in the beloved, in Jesus Christ. Amen.